I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 50, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, and Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In these passages, here's what we'll see with regard to the events of Jesus' ministry. He's still traveling and ministering in Galilee at this point in time, and these events take place between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 37, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, and Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23, we see that the Jewish leaders here step way over the line. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges." But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now let's look at Mark's account in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. 
So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said, he has an unclean spirit. Now we'll look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 14. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters." Now, of these three accounts, Mark doesn't directly mention the healing miracle that brought about this discussion, as do Matthew and Luke. As a matter of fact, Mark begins his account by mentioning the crowd control problem that existed, so much so that they were not even able to sit down for a meal. Mark reports in verse 21 that Jesus' friends went out to pull Jesus from the crowd. It's not clear from the text who said the statement, he is beside himself, that's the phrase used in the King James Version, uh, translated, he is out of his mind in the New King James Version. It's actually not clear what's meant by that phrase. That phrase comes from the Greek verb existemi, which could refer to actions reflecting insanity, or it could mean that to be astonished or amazed. If it was a reckless crowd witnessing the casting out of demons in verse 22, who made that statement, the conversation of demon possession that follows would indicate that they might have tried to portray Jesus as insane. If, on the other hand, it was Jesus' friends who made the statement, they could have been using the term in the context that Jesus was overwhelmed by the crowd. We see uh, that Jesus cast out a demon, and the people, in fact, are amazed. Not the Jewish leaders, though. They remain unimpressed, and, and they even accuse Jesus of casting out demons by calling upon the chief demon, Beelzebub. That's derived from 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2, indicating Satan himself. Jesus shows the fallacy of such an outrageous accusation, but did they go too far this time with their verbal attacks on Jesus? Well, yes, they did go too far. Imputing Jesus, which the Jewish leaders habitually did, that was one thing. 
but to see the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through Jesus and then turn around and call it the work of Satan, well, that went way over the line. And we see this sin clearly identified in Mark chapter 3, verse 30, where it says, because they said he has an unclean spirit. It's vital that we understand what brought on this condemnation. Specifically, they rejected the deity of Jesus, and they ascribed his source of power to Satan himself. Now, you simply don't get a stronger rejection of Jesus as Savior than that. Now, I'm convinced that this situation is unique in this respect. These leaders viewed face-to-face the manifestations of the Spirit through Jesus, and yet they accused him of being motivated by Satan. Now, I make that point because of the misuse of this passage by many today. Specifically, some have incorrectly been told that they cannot be saved because of having blasphemed the Holy Spirit in their past, as in laughing at those who spoke in tongues or otherwise proclaimed themselves to be demonstrating the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say, that's an outrageous assertion. Again, let me say that this scenario, well, it just can't be duplicated in this age. No one is prevented from being saved because of such an act. If you'd like to get a fuller understanding of the manifestation of spiritual gifts, then look at my notes on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, Matthew gives more coverage to this incident than do Mark and Luke. Notice particularly Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. He says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Matthew uses the Greek word ion, which is age, to describe the longevity of the condemnation, neither in this age nor in the age to come. That age to come is the kingdom the Jews have been anticipating, the Messianic age. Jesus makes reference to this kingdom age in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, and Luke chapter 11, verse 20, where there he proclaims that if his actions are of God, then the messianic age has come upon you. Immediately following the outrageous claim by these Jewish leaders that Jesus was motivated by Satan, Jesus explains the principle of fruit-bearing as applied to ministers of God. I just can't resist mentioning Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Those verses say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So, when the source is God, the fruit is always going to be good. So you want a sign, Jesus says. How about my resurrection as a sign? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, and Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it 
for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now over to Luke chapter 11, same account, beginning with verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Now, let me make a little note here. Luke orders this account a little differently than Matthew, but both include the same dialogue. Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 28 are going to be summarized as we get to the next section. These Pharisees and scribes ask for a sign that Jesus is who they think he claims to be. Jesus cites the ministry of Jonah. He explains in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now this verse right here is rich in meaning. First of all, he's referring to the period between his crucifixion and resurrection. Notice that that period is three days and three nights. So much for a Friday crucifixion. It doesn't give you three nights. As a matter of fact, the reason so many have taught a Friday crucifixion for centuries is because they believed that the Jews were insisting that Jesus be taken off the cross before the beginning of the weekly Sabbath. However, in John chapter 19, verse 31, we see there that this was not the regular weekly Sabbath that they were trying to beat, but rather the beginning of a special high day. That's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was treated like a weekly Sabbath and thus called a high day. So here's the sequence for the week in which Jesus was crucified. Thursday was the Passover when Jesus was crucified. Friday was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Saturday was the regular Sabbath day. And on Sunday morning, Jesus resurrected after three days and three nights. But there's another fascination with this passage. Where was Jesus for those three days? He prophesies in this passage in Matthew 12:40 that he'll be in the heart of the earth. If you'd like to see a complete scriptural analysis of the location of Jesus for these three days, then I've included an information box on this page entitled Paradise Relocated, or you can look for that same article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Jesus also cites the inquiring mind of the Queen of Sheba when she visited Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1-13, through 13, and 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 1-12. through 12. That's an example of what happens when people really desire to know God. Jesus uses these two Old Testament examples to make the point that these had embraced the manifestation of God's salvation, while the current generation, the one to whom Jesus was preaching, well, they're rejecting it. We see in the next section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, and Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, that Satan's demons are looking for a place to live. Matthew 12, 43. 
When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Now, Luke's account in Luke chapter 11, verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. In this passage, Jesus is still addressing those Jewish leaders who made that outrageous accusation against him up in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. So here's the lesson. If you don't fill your spiritual void with God's Spirit, you may be disappointed with your next tenant. People often ask me if I think a believer can be possessed by a demon. My answer is no. It flies in the face of New Testament consistency to believe that a believer can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God at salvation, which is shown in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and Romans 8, 9, and at the same time be indwelt by a demon. As a matter of fact, is that not what Jesus is saying right here in this passage? He implies that a demon sets up housekeeping in a vessel which is spiritually devoid, not the scenario that exists in a believer, one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, as all believers are. Then a woman hollers out a blessing in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Verse 27, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now this word blessed in this passage is translated from the Greek word makarios, and that word means fortunate or well-off. Furthermore, the Greek word for keep there is philoso. That's a word meaning to guard or to keep. So we're talking about hearing and guarding God's word. Yes, indeed, those who trust Jesus by faith are quite blessed. Now, let me make a notation with regard to the order of Scripture here. Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 32, they're summarized below with Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. Now we're going to skip ahead then to Luke chapter 11, verse 33, and we'll be considering 29 to 32 in a few moments. Verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Now this discussion follows the occasion of Jesus giving Jonah in the belly of the great fish as an analogy. He's just explained 
who he is and what his ultimate sign manifestation will be, which is his resurrection. Now, what will you do with this light? That's what this passage is all about. Literally, what will you do with this manifestation of Jesus' identity? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, and Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, Jesus' mother and brothers sinned for him. Matthew 12:46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now Mark's account, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle of those who said about him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. When Mary and Mary's other sons, the brothers of Jesus, come to where Jesus is speaking, he uses this occasion to introduce the concept of the body of Christ. We refer to the body of Christ as the church, a reference to all of those who've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith. Jesus makes the point here that his relatives, as God in the flesh, Savior of the world and Messiah, are not limited to those who are kin by physical ancestry, but that his relatives extend to all those who have accepted him by faith. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.